So we've got two readings this morning, and the first can be found in Colossians chapter 4 on page 1185, and we're starting from verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And the second reading can be found in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 12 on page 691, and we're starting at verse 1. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. G'day guys. For those of you who are new or visiting, my name is Bruce. I'm the senior minister of uh, Samats. It's great to have you here. No, actually, I'm not. I'm uh, the youth and young adults minister. My name's Nathan. Um, but it's good to have you here. Hope you feel warmly welcomed. Yeah. We are going to spend a few moments uh, reflecting on God's word together. Let me pray before we do that. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, the great gift of a new day. We thank you for the chance that we get as God's people to meet together and encourage one another. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for your Son that your Word testifies to. And we thank you, Lord, for this Word that is sharper than a double-edged sword. We pray, Lord, that this morning as we reflect on it, you would do your work in us through it. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Before I went into full-time ministry, I was a high school history teacher. Some of you might have known that. And one of the jobs of a, a history teacher is you've got to teach your students how to deal with historical sources, how to identify things like reliability and bias. Now, one of the things we would typically use when we were trying to teach the students how to do that well is you'd get um, wartime propaganda. Now, we like using wartime propaganda because propaganda posters themselves are quite obvious, <laughs> obvious in the terms of the message they're trying to get across, uh, in terms of the techniques that they use in order to do that. Some of the common techniques you might find in propaganda are uh, things like fear. So that one says, if you could see it completely, you could be shot for wasting paper in Germany or Japan, is in small text under that. That's pretty, that's pretty full on, isn't it? Pretty full on. Uh, other techniques that use along with fear are guilt. 
So you got this one, when you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. Join a car sharing club today. It's like, wow, that is a guilt trip, isn't it? That is a guilt trip. You could get those posters up advertising the T3 lanes, couldn't you? Not sure they'd work that well. Sometimes these posters give us a glimpse into the future. So they predict things like our current craze with gluten-free. The kitchen is the key to victory. Eat less bread. You know, the path to victory. Go gluten-free. Other times, posters are a little confusing. Maybe terminology's changed a bit. This one, for instance, asks Canada to go and lick them which I don't know, you know how much that's going to do, really, um, when it comes to fighting a war, but uh, yeah. The best posters, though, I reckon, are the ones that are inspirational. They, they seek to inspire. So uh, posters like these that really say, you know what, everyone has a role to play on all fronts, or everyone's role is essential. Only you can give them wings. Now, I reckon posters like this are so effective Because they're saying quite clearly what all propaganda posters are essentially getting at. They're all, behind all of them are a kind of simple appeal that whoever you are, whatever you do, we all need to play our part, do our bit, and support the cause. That's what they're all doing. Now, we've been in the book of Colossians now since the beginning of the term, so quite a long, long time. The end is rapidly approaching. So we've got this week and next, and then we're done. Our passage this morning is actually Paul's last exhortation to the church uh, before he wraps things up. And it really begs the question, I think, after everything that he's said, after all the encouragement he's given this church, after all the challenges he's issued to them, how's he going to wrap things up? How's he going to finish What is it that Paul wants to be ringing in their ears long after the letter has finished? It's a good question. Perhaps in a similar way to a wartime poster of sorts, Paul's last instructions here are actually an invitation. An invitation to the church in Colossae, an invitation to us here in Manly. An invitation for us to play our part and to partner with Paul. That's not a real poster, by the way. (laughs) Put that one together myself. Paul is saying to them, take your place. Play your part in the great and glorious cause of Christ. There's two ways he calls them to do this. The first one uh, is in verses 2 to 4. Hopefully you have your Bibles open in front of you to this passage. You might have to flip back. Uh, Verses 2 to 4 where he talks about speaking to God about people. Then in verses 5 and 6... It's about speaking to people about God. So firstly, speaking to God about people. Secondly, speaking to people about God. Now, before we jump on in and take a look at those two things, it's worth considering for a moment, what is the cause of Christ that Paul is calling us to? What is that cause? Actually, it's a cause he's been talking about since the very beginning of the letter, if you've been here with us. It was a message, he said, that... Uh, that the Colossians have received and that Paul, has, that Paul says has been bearing fruit and growing around the whole world. A message that has actually been about a person. And not just any person, but one who holds cosmic supremacy. And this is his cause, Paul tells us. 
It's a message that by God's power we heard, Paul has actually been willing to strenuously contend and suffer for in order to proclaim. And Paul's deep desire is that the Colossians too might know fully this message and it's Christ and that by knowing this fully, it would leave no room for any other fine-sounding arguments, human regulations and rules. Lastly, over the last few weeks, we've heard it's a message that's got to dwell richly within us as it transforms us into the new self in every area of our lives, be that church or marriage, parenting or work. So you see, the whole letter has actually been about this cause, a message about the cosmic Christ who has the power to fill us and transform us into his image. It's a, it's a gospel of resurrection and reconciliation and restoration. This is the cause of Christ. There was one verse in this book that captures it. It's 1 verse 29, I reckon. Sorry, 1 verse 20, where it says, Through him, God is reconciling to himself, through Christ, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. All things reconciled. That is the cause. In our passage this morning, Paul ends his letter by calling on them and us to play a part, and it actually begins with us participating with God as he's reconciling all things to himself, which I think is amazing. He begins by saying it's about speaking to God about people. That's where it begins. Verse 2, take a look in your Bibles with me. It's a strong word he begins with. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote. That's a strong word. Like he could have simply said something like, you know what, make sure you pray. Or prayer's a good thing to do. Or he could have said, try your best and just pray whenever you remember. That'd work well for me, I think. Instead, what does he say? He says, devote. Devote yourselves to it. The original Greek word that he uses here conveys a sense, not of kind of worship, we might associate the idea of devotion with worship. It's not so much worship, but it's holding fast to something or possessing an enduring, unwavering commitment to something. It's strong, in other words. It's strong. Lisa Courtney from the UK is someone who I think might know a thing or two about devotion. She currently holds the Guinness World Record for the largest collection of Pokemon memorabilia. Wow. She's 27 years old. She lives at home with her mother, because of course she does. And to date, she has amassed over 16,000 Pokemon items, separate Pokemon items. Here's what her mother says. I'm not sure what you would say. Here's what her mother says. Lisa's collection has definitely taken over the house. It's taken over the bedrooms, it's taken over downstairs, it's taken over the garage, it's taken over the shed, the hallway, the landing. It would be nice if I could say I had a bit of the house to myself, but no, it's definitely taken over. She sounds quite reasonable, doesn't she? (laughs) Lisa is devoted. She's devoted to stuffed Pikachus. And her devotion has literally taken over the house. Because that's what devotion does. That's what devotion does. Imagine for a moment if we were able to speak just like Lisa's mother 
about our approach to prayer. Imagine that for a second. Prayer has definitely taken over my life. It's taken over every area, my, my approach to work, my approach to family, to church, to the weekend, to my finances. Gosh, I mean every area. It would be nice to say if I could have a bit of my life left over, but you know, no, prayer has definitely, definitely taken over. Wouldn't be a bad thing to be able to say, would it? If our lives were devoted to prayer. You know, I think I pray too much. Said no Christian ever. <laughs> like we're not in danger of praying too much, are we? We're in danger of praying too little and of underestimating the power that sits behind our prayers and of underestimating the one who's listening to us pray. You want to know why prayer is so important? Why Paul calls on us to be devoted to it? It's quite simple. Nothing happens to forward the cause of Christ without God's power. That's exactly what Paul has admitted to them back in 1 verse 29. He says, To this end, as in for this cause, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You see, God's power is at the center of everything that Paul is doing. And he will use us. Sure, he will use us, but not without his power. People will come to faith, but not without God's power. Hearts will change. Lives will be transformed. But it's not without God's power. The equation is simple. If none of it happens without God's power, then that means none of it happens without God. And if none of it happens without God, then surely prayer is like the most important thing that we can do. And when you put it that way, I think it makes complete sense of why Paul would say, hey guys, devote yourselves to it. The the person that Paul calls on the Colossians to pray for then, when we get to verse 3, is himself, which is interesting. He doesn't often call for prayer for himself, but he does to them and he asks them, take a look, that God may open a door for his message so that he may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Then in verse 4 he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I don't know about you, but I find Paul's request right here to be staggering. Staggering, I really do. And it's for two reasons. The first one is that you might remember, Paul's writing this letter while he himself is under house arrest in Rome. Now, being under house arrest for Paul meant that he was stuck inside in a rented room, day in, day out, 24-7, chained to a guard every hour of the day. It's like your classic Julian Assange situation. (laughs) Stuck in a little room. I love the guy that's standing next to him. He looks really fearsome, doesn't he? He's like, get out of my embassy. You've got to imagine he's overstayed his welcome by now. But thinking back to Paul, what it must have been like for this guy who is used to bashing around the Mediterranean, planting churches in every new place that he visited, proclaiming the gospel, the glorious cause of Christ, and now he can't even leave his own room. Like, if I was Paul, you know what I'd be praying for? I'd be praying for um, a friendly guard 
or a more comfortable room? Or why not maybe just my freedom? (laughs) But what does Paul tell them to pray for? The message, the cause of Christ, that this message might continue to go out. Because more than his own comfort, more than his own freedom, what does Paul want? He wants more of exactly what got put him in chains in the first place. Isn't that staggering? His concern is not for himself, it's for the message, for the gospel to be preached, for that that mystery to be revealed, for hearts to be broken, for lives to be changed, for the reconciliation of all things. That is what Paul wants more than anything else. And as he asks for the Colossians to pray, he's really asking for them to also share his concern. Our prayers are a picture of our priorities, aren't they? Our prayers are a picture of our priorities. The things that we most want will be the things that we most pray for. They're a picture of our priorities. The things that that Paul's asking for here, they show us his priorities. I wonder what your prayers reveal about what your priorities are. If you have the courage, take a moment just now and have a think. Think back over the the course of this week, things that you've been praying for. If all someone could do was to sit there and, and hear those prayers and listen to what you're praying about, what conclusions would they be able to make about what's most important to you? Are they gospel priorities? Material priorities? Maybe parking space priorities? (laughs) Here in Manly, that's the case for sure. Are they comfort or are they kingdom priorities? Do we prioritize our glory or God's glory? Interesting to reflect on. You might find it a bit uncomfortable. I know I did thinking about it this week as I was reflecting. I really actually has changed in some way what I've been praying about this week. And I'm not at all suggesting that we can't pray for small things, we can't pray for personal things. Paul, in another letter to, to the church in Philippi, he tells them, you know, you need to pray in every situation. So don't, don't get Paul wrong here. God loves it when we speak to him about all sorts of things, anything and everything. But we always seem to end up praying the most for what to us is the most important. That's just the way it kind of works. And if we're keen to prioritize the cause of Christ, just as Paul does, then surely devoting ourselves to praying for this cause is a really important place to start. The second thing that really staggers me about Paul's request for prayer here is the way that God decides to answer that prayer. The answer is actually sitting right there open on your laps Paul asks for an open door for his message. God says, okay. And he goes about inspiring and preserving Paul's letters such that thousands of years, for thousands of years, Christians like you and I have sat in churches around the world just like this one and have read Paul's message. That is amazing. That is an amazing answer to prayer. And... There is no way that that's what Paul would have had in mind when he makes this request, that in 2017, a bunch of believers in a church right next to Manly Beach would be sitting together for 10 weeks, pouring through his little letter to the church in Colossae. 
<laughs> he's in heaven right now looking down. I'm sure he's still laughing at the way God answers prayer. Amazing. Amazing. And we often so have so little idea about how God uses our prayers, don't we? So little idea. After all, when we come to him in prayer and we pray for the cause of Christ and for the gospel to, out, to go out, what are we in fact doing if we're not entrusting our requests to him, to his wisdom, to his timing, to his way? And the truth is we may never know in this life what his answer is. The true impact of our prayers might not be able to be seen until long after we've left. And that's okay. It shouldn't, certainly shouldn't stop us from being devoted to prayer because to pray is to depend. To depend on a God whose power and wisdom is far greater than our own. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So speaking to God about people is the first way that Paul calls on us to play our part in the cause of Christ. The second way is found in verses 5 and 6, and it involves speaking to people about God. What does Paul say? Take a look. Be wise, he says, in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. In the original Greek, that's actually just two words, and it just means by time. By time. So it picks up this idea of kind of time is short. It's short, and so you've got to do your best with the time that you've got. That idea reminds me of a great little quote from, from the Lord of the Rings movies, the very first one, um, Fellowship of the Ring. It's at the end of the movie, and uh, you've got Frodo there. He's got the ring. He's going to Mordor to destroy it. He's standing by a river, and he's looking looking at the journey ahead and he's lamenting. He says this, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. He doesn't want the responsibility. All of a sudden, this other voice starts up and it's, it's Gandalf, you know, in that gruff and caring tone. He says to Frodo, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. All you have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to you. It's a great quote. I love that idea that we've been given time, given time, time to play our part in the cause of Christ. And it's entirely up to us, right, isn't it, to decide what it is we're going to do with that time, how we're going to use it. Paul's instruction to the Colossians is simple. Make the most of it. Take every opportunity you can to play your part. Now, it is interesting as he says this to them. He's not saying, you know, go and um, tie your sandals up, put your cloak on, grab your staff, and then go to some far-flung place and start a new church. That's what Paul's been doing. He doesn't tell them to do that. He says, you know what? I want you to... I want you to minister to the city in Colossae, the people that are around you. Be wise towards them, towards outsiders. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The part there to play is to their own people. 
the people that they bump into in the marketplace, the people they work with, their friends, their family, anyone who's not yet part of the church community. Paul calls on them to play their part through the words that they use to live and to speak and to interact in such a way as to bear witness to the great and glorious cause of Christ. When you typically think about wartime propaganda, it's usually enlistment posters we think of, right? Calling people to head to the front lines and become an actual soldier. But the reality is lots of the posters, as we saw already this morning, are actually aimed at those who were remaining on the home front. Because every single person, no matter who you, were, no matter who you are, had a part that they could play. And the tasks on the home front were just as vital to winning the war as anything else. So Paul's final instruction here in the letter is actually calling on everyone, all of us, the Colossians, everyone here, to do their bit, from the youngest to the oldest, from the the richest to the poorest, from the most important and influential to the least. Everyone's got a vital part to play in the glorious cause of Christ. And it really could be as small as the words we use, small but powerful. Powerful because we have a powerful God who uses those words. This isn't a job that we sign up for and enlist ourselves in, but it does take wisdom for us to see the opportunities around us, wisdom and courage to take those opportunities when we see them. It could be those you know, incidental, unplanned conversations that you have across a fence with a neighbour It might be chatting with parents along the sideline on a Saturday morning. Uh, It could be what you bring up amongst friends over a coffee. The topic of conversation uh, with colleagues over lunch. The words you choose to use at your next dinner party. The truth is there are opportunities all around us because there are people that we're in relationship with all around us But we often don't see those opportunities because we're so caught up in our own causes. Or maybe we do see those opportunities, but in the moment can't seem to find the courage to do anything with it. But, you know, playing this part doesn't call on grand gestures like walking around with the sandwich board. Paul says it takes being wise and full of grace, which means using things like tact and Waiting for the right time takes things like being gentle and empathetic and showing care for those that we're speaking to. And then when he calls on us to have conversations that are salty, seasoned with salt, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Interesting image. Paul's saying that our words to outsiders needs to be distinct and interesting. Distinct and interesting. Now, I'll admit I'm not a great cook, but even I know enough that when food lacks the proper seasoning, then it becomes entirely forgettable, doesn't it? And I mean, the food I cook needs all the help it can get. So it is with our conversations. So it is with our conversations. When we take those opportunities to speak about the cause of Christ, what we should say what we say should provoke people to stop and to think and to question just like a well-seasoned dish, what we say should leave them asking for more. I'd like to hear a bit more about that. 
Well, that's interesting. Tell me more. We might go, what, do you, what does that even look like? How do, what does it look like to seize in our conversation? Like, it's a nice idea, but what, what does that look like? That's a good question. You know, you, I reckon a good idea, once we finish this series, is to go back and read through the whole book in one sitting of Colossians. Because Paul touches on like a half dozen different things, probably more than that, that to people here in Manly would seem very salty indeed. For instance, you could season your conversations with hope. With hope. The hope that Paul tells us is stored up for us in heaven. Our world's gripped by fear and uncertainty in what's going to happen in the future, isn't it? But we have a certain hope. The resurrected Jesus Christ who promises us our own resurrection when he returns. And that gives us, what, fearlessness, really, doesn't it? And confidence, especially through times of adversity and suffering and pain. That's the kind of hope that at least has to be a a little intriguing, doesn't it, to our world? Or in a culture that is more and more obsessed, it seems, with self-improvement, why not let your conversation be seasoned with the true and genuine transformation we experience? Through the gospel, the new self, Paul says, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We could season our conversations with contentment that we find in Christ. For in Christ we've been brought to fullness, Paul says. As those around us kind of seek endlessly after fullness every which way, our quest has actually come to an end in Christ, hasn't it? Why not let that contentment season the way we speak, season the way we act, and see what God does with that? The truth of the matter is that we get to participate with God in a reconciliation of all things in Christ Jesus. It's a cause Paul was devoted to, and it's a cause that calls for our devotion as well. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it, where he says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose, drawing people into Christ. This is the cause And every one of us has a part to play in it. Playing our part means speaking to the one above. It means speaking to those around. And no matter who you are, we've all got a part to play. The question is, are you ready to play yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of all creation, Most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, for his death and his resurrection, for the new life that that offers to us. We're thankful, Lord, for this cause that you call all of us to play our part in. We thank you for Paul's words that you've preserved for us so that they may continue to be proclaimed. We ask, Lord, that you might give to us courage and devotion and enable us to play our part to take our place in this glorious cause of Christ. We pray these things in your Son's name.
Amen.